I ask you then to turn with me to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm 119, our scripture lesson will be from the first eight verses. Every chapter of the Bible is significant. We know this. Every word of God is full of meaning. And it would be impossible, I, I think, to place one portion of the Bible above another. And yet there are certain places in the Bible where they stand out uniquely because of their direct and perhaps easily applicable message. Romans chapter 8 is sometimes been referred to as the Magna Carta of the Christian faith, the most sublime expression of salvation and of Christianity and what Christ did and what is needed for salvation. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 give us the account of the creation of everything that we know, everything in the world, and Revelation 22 tells us about how all of it is going to come to an end. Psalm 23 has been a comforting companion to countless believers in Christ. And of course, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 record arguably the greatest sermon that's ever been given when the Lord on the Mount brought his sermon to the multitudes. Today I want to look at another portion of scripture that is unique and very unique in all of the Bible. Psalm 119, of course, we know is the largest chapter in all of the Bible, 176 verses. It's longer than many other books in the Bible. It's as long as Ruth and James and Philippians. And it's divided up into eight verses of 22 different sections. You may already know this, but each Section of eight verses starts with a Greek, or excuse me, a Hebrew letter of the alphabet, and it goes in order of the alphabet. It is believed by some that Hebrew people would teach their children uh, the alphabet with this psalm. And I thought, what a way to learn to read, to be able to hear what this incredible passage of Scripture, this chapter as we call them, and this chapter is all about the Word of God. It is from beginning to end about the Word of God. Except for one other verse much later on, the first three verses of these 176 are the only verses that are not directly addressed to God about His Word. It talks about the Word in a variety of ways. There are some 10 different synonyms that are used to describe it. The law, the word, a saying, a commandment, statutes, judgments, precepts, testimony, way, and path. And each of these synonyms bring, synonyms bring a different meaning or a nuance of a meaning together to attempt to describe the word of God. It provides God's instruction. All of this chapter, his revelations, his own testimonies, as though God were on the witness stand, explaining what he knows and what he sees, tells us about his decrees, 
his judgments, his declarations, and his pattern for our lives. He uses many different metaphors to describe it. The word of God, water, a treasure, companion, a counselor, a song, honey, light, and heritage. The undeniable point of Psalm 119 is how we should value above all other earthly possessions the word of God. But we live in a time when most people never read the Bible at all. Many, if not most, never mine its treasures, never hear a preacher proclaim its message. It is at the same time the most needed and most neglected book in all of our homes. I read a statistic that said that a person spends more time watching commercials in an average 30-minute program than they do reading the Bible. I believe it. This Bible contains answers to all of our problems, our national problems, our church problems, our home problems, our individual heart problems. But because the Bible's misunderstood or neglected or tossed aside, we end up looking for solutions elsewhere. And there's plenty of people that offer them. Plenty of experts, plenty of, we've traded the preacher with the word of God for the psychiatrist with his degree from university. This psalm tells us and reminds us once again of the unique place in our lives that the, the word of God ought to hold. And, and the enemy, our adversary, Satan, wants us to believe that the answers to our problems are just not there. The answers to the things that we struggle with in the, in the whisper of the enemy is not found. From Genesis to Revelation and the 64 other books in between, we're convinced somehow that this Bible isn't sufficient. That God has not told us enough. One area in particular, and I find this extremely compelling, one area in particular that Satan has convinced us that the Bible is silent on is our happiness. Satan has convinced us that God doesn't want us to be happy. Satan has convinced us that the Bible is all about things that we're supposed to do and not do and, and be a clamp upon our life and prevent us from doing the things maybe that we want to do. And, and so we look elsewhere for happiness and we look elsewhere for contentment. And instead of in the scripture, the word of God and God himself, we look for happiness in earthly possessions or in someone else. Sometimes the last place we look to find happiness is in the Bible. And it is the only place that you'll find happiness truly described. It's the only place. So I want to speak to you today about why men, human beings, men, women, and children, why we aren't happy. It's probably assumed, I mean, many people would say outwardly, of course, that they're, they're going through their life and they're not happy. Well, the first three verses of this psalm point out very clearly 
what it is to be happy. And I think that we can look at that then and turn it around and understand why we're not. And you may think this message is not for me because I am happy. I am content, perhaps. I want you to, I want to challenge your thoughts about that and ask you what it is that is making you happy, if indeed you are at all. But I want to speak again specifically here. I want to give four reasons why we aren't. But let's read the passage and then pray that God would bless his word. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. And now he begins to address God. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. God has commanded our obedience to his precepts. And perhaps there's never been a more obvious statement made from a preacher in anywhere at any time. God has commanded us to obey his precepts. And I would say to you, first of all, that we are unhappy in our life at times because and when we are disobedient to God's precepts. A precept is different from a commandment or a statute in that it is a rule of personal conduct. That's what it's talking about is a a precept. It's a manner of life. It's different from a commandment. Again, in that a precepts, the precepts are broader in their intent. They're broader rules uh, of conduct as opposed to specific commands that we are to obey with specific behavior. So God has called you and me to a way of life, a manner of living. And he has commanded us to follow those precepts. God, our creator, our father, our provider, our friend, our protector, the one who has given us our purpose. He has commanded us to follow and to obey his precepts. And when we resist against this one who has given us life, it only makes sense that unhappiness follows. When this one who is is the whole reason that we draw breath, when we deny him, when we ignore him, when we turn our eyes away from him and do not regard him in his word or through the Holy Spirit and we reject him, it just stands to reason that unhappiness follows. Jesus expanded on this in the New Testament when he says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this is what he told us then to do, to love God. That is the commandment. That's what John 14, 15 then says when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
The commands of God, the precepts of God, the laws of God, these are ways in which we are given to show our love to Him. And again, when we reject Him, it only stands to reason that unhappiness follows when we disobey God. The greatest joy available to the human life is obedience to God. To know without any doubt in your mind that you are pleasing the one who called you forth from your mother's womb, who gave you life here, who gives you life and sustains it here and gives you all the blessings of your life. The counterside of that is that great unhappiness follows when we don't obey. How many times as a child did you end up happy when you disobeyed your parents? How many times have you ended up happy when you disobey your employer? Just recently, we had an instance where someone disobeyed very obvious rules of the company and the person was without a job. Unhappiness follows. How many times have we been happy, ended up happy when we've disobeyed the law? Maybe temporarily in all of these situations, but not long term. Not forever. Unhappiness follows disobedience. But you see, the enemy of our souls convinces us that happiness is doing whatever we want to do. He convinces us that it is our call. It is my prerogative. I can do what I want to do. And we resist the one who gave us life, who calls us to repentance and then calls us to obedience. And we resist that and we wonder why unhappiness follows when it It only makes sense that it does. Examine your unhappiness if if you are so. Where's it coming from? What's the root of the problem? Specifically, And as we look at this example, when we say, then the psalmist says, look, blessed, happy is the one who keeps your precepts. Then we can say, unhappy is the one who does not. And so then we can say, unhappy then is the one who does not. If that is true, then we have to then map our unhappiness to a precept of God that we are ignoring or disobeying or rejecting. So specifically, what is the disobedience in your heart right now that is driving any unhappiness in your life? Don't dismiss the question. It's the key that will restore your happiness or perhaps bring you to it for the first time in your life. Are you unhappy because you don't have enough money? then ask God to forgive you for your lack of dependence and trust in Him and your contentment in what He has given. Are you happy because you feel constant pressure and strain? And this is what our society, I think, wrestles with a lot. Are you unhappy because you feel the constant pressure and strain of fulfilling your obligations? Is that driving an unhappiness in your life? Then ask God to forgive you for thinking that everything depends on you. And I cannot tell you the number of times that that has been the source of my discontentment and unhappiness. But it's disobedience, it's lack of faith. I could go on and on and on, but I encourage you to connect the dots of the disobedience in your life to the unhappiness that you're experiencing. 
And I'm not saying that when we live according to the precepts of God, that we will never have times of burden and great heartache and great sorrow. But there's a difference between those experiences and a a life filled with unhappiness and discontentment. Everything that God has called us to is good. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And again, the ultimate command to love God. This is all wonderful, good Things, things that lead to blessing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And as we've said, that love is demonstrated in obedience. So what part of God's plan, purpose, and commands, if obeyed, I would ask you, would not lead to contentment and happiness in your life? Is it his call to be a person of honesty, integrity, trust, love, gratefulness? Sometimes our unhappiness can be mapped directly to the reality that we are disobeying God's precepts in our life. Secondly, in verse 6, we are unhappy many times because of our lack of focus on God's commands, his specific commands. Psalm 119, verse 6, Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. The word shame is to have a painful feeling and emotional distress by having done something wrong. That's how it's defined. It's to have feelings of guilt or embarrassment or, or remorse. And these certainly are not feelings that lead to a state of happiness. And the psalmist here says that when I have my eyes fixed upon your commandments, I will not be ashamed. And so we find then, and let me warn you, that if your eyes and if mine are not fixed upon the commandments of God, shame is surely coming our way. Everything about our fallen nature goes in the opposite direction of God's commands. It just does. And when we follow our own path, we inevitably end up ashamed, broken, embarrassed. But God tells us to keep our eyes fixed upon Him. God tells us to love one another, to put our needs below and beyond the needs of others, to put them in front of us, to be people of honesty, integrity, and trustworthiness, to be upright and above reproach. But our fallen nature desires to be the opposite. We love ourselves first. We put our needs first. We lie when it helps our cause. We let others down when it becomes too difficult to bear the burdens of our responsibilities. We let our moral guard down when it is the most important time for us to keep it up. And we end up ashamed. And shame and happiness do not go together. So if we're unhappy... We have to ask ourselves the question, then, what are our eyes fixed upon? What are we looking at in our life? Are our eyes covetously fixed upon the things of the world? 
Are we looking for the things that God has not given us, expecting happiness to be found in those things, whatever that might be? Are we like Eve looking at the tree that is forbidden to us rather than all the other trees that he's given to us? And in that seeking of that one thing that we think will lead us to happiness and taking our eyes off of God's commandments and looking to fill our happiness with our own decisions and our own wants, our own wishes, our own dreams, rather than submitting our lives to God, are we seeking those things and finding nothing but unhappiness? And I would tell you today that only makes sense, according to the psalmist. When our eyes are not fixed upon the commands of God, specifically his call to love him and to obey him. And as we do this, we can't miss verse five that we skipped over. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That word, oh, that it's one Hebrew word and it's basically a wish. I desire, oh, that I would have this, the psalmist says. It's a call to God for help in this, that he would be steadfast in keeping his eyes firmly fixed upon God's commandments and his statutes and his law. Without his help, we can't do it. If you're unhappy because your eyes keep looking away from God and his commandments, but maybe you want to and you know you should and your lack of focus on God, you know, is your problem. Then perhaps the issue is that you think you can do it on your own. And that just leads to more unhappiness. Perhaps you've committed again and again and again in your life over and over. You've affirmed it, your desire to walk with God, but again and again you fail. And it leads to unhappiness and discontentment. And it's because your eyes have been taken off of the precepts of God, off of the commandments of God, and placed onto yourself. And at that moment, if you recognize it, the call is to turn your heart over to God, turn your life over to him, go to him as a child goes to their parents, knowing that they're helpless on their own. Remember that feeling of a child, maybe in a crowd somewhere off in a new place that you didn't know anyone or some situation at school or some situation in your life that you knew that you were completely and totally dependent upon your parents to help and how helpless maybe that you felt, but how much trust you had to place in them. If you want to find happiness, place your trust in God. It's the only place you'll find it. Maybe... Maybe, though, you're unhappy trying so hard to be a Christian. Maybe the problem isn't your desire to be a good person. Maybe you do desire to be a good person. Maybe you do desire to be one of God's people, but you're placing it on your own strength. Maybe you want verse 6 to describe your life. I'll, I'll not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on your commandments. Maybe that's how you want your life to be described. But maybe, just maybe, you've skipped verse 5. And have not or do not continually cry out to him for the help that you need. And notice as well when he says, having my eyes fixed on all your commands. 
It's important, three-letter English word, all. Obedience to God in most of the areas of your life, in most but not all, will still lead to unhappiness and distress. That one area of your life that you withhold from God, it will be the undoing of the happiness in all the other areas of your life. Our compartmentalization of our lives is is something we like to tell ourselves, but something that's not actually true. Every part of your life affects every other part of it. I've had individuals come to me at work in a work setting and and they'll say to me that they're going through a, a divorce or a rough situation at home. And then they'll pause and they'll say, but I won't let this affect my work. And I usually stop them right there and I say, don't be silly. Of course it will. Of course it will. And when there's a part of our life that is withheld from God, whatever part that that is, a relationship, a job, a, a, a habit, something in our life that we've, we have withheld from God or we have not submitted to God, then we cannot claim verse 6 and the happiness that is, that is derived from it. Because we cannot say that I've looked at and I've, my eyes are fixed on all of your commands. So examine your life and examine your heart and examine which part, if any, or perhaps multiple parts of your life have not been handed over to God. And if there is a part of your life that you've not handed over to God, if I were a betting man, I would tell you that's exactly where your unhappiness is coming from. Verse 7 I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. Number three, then we are unhappy because we don't or perhaps we can't praise God sincerely. A lack of praise for God will prevent you from being happy. Praise to God is the fountainhead of all happiness in our lives. Anything else is just so far below what we ought to be experiencing in our life. Praise to God will be our great joy in the unceasing age of eternity that is to come. Praise to God should be our constant joy here as well. But there are few things in life that will prevent you from being happy like an inability to give God sincere and honest praise. When your praise isn't based on truth, but based on your own ideas about your life. When your praise in the world is for others, but not God. When it's based on trust in yourself, but not Him. When your praise does not come from a deep understanding of God's righteous judgments for your life. When you don't praise God like that through your life. You don't experience the happiness that follows when you experience the joy of what life is supposed to be. And so if you're unhappy, I just ask you these questions. When was the last time you sang a song of praise to God from the depths of your heart and your voice rang with a a sincere praise to the God of heaven and earth that gave you life? When was the last time you praised Him In prayer, as tears of thankfulness flowed, when was the last time you praised Him as you drove down the street and realized that the life you've been given is an unspeakable blessing? When was the last time you praised God for the trials even that you're enduring in that very moment because they brought you closer to Him? 
I can tell you this. A life that is absence of a praise for God, an ongoing praising of Him, is an unhappy life. It's an unhappy one. The pleasures and trinkets of the world might keep you distracted temporarily, make you think that you've found happiness, but they won't. They won't last. Verse 8, the fourth reason, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. We're also unhappy. Unhappiness also is a reality in our life if God's just not in them. Verse 8 brings the first stanza of this Hebrew acrostic to a close and hits the high point of the cause for our unhappiness. Simply put, unhappiness results from an absence of God in our life. Listen as he says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So if there's unhappiness in your life, it might simply be because God's not a part of it. You don't share your victories with him. You don't come to him with your defeats. You don't see him in the eyes of your children. You don't see him in the work that you do every day. You don't sense him in your darkest hours. You don't kneel in awe of him in your closet alone. You don't read of him in your Bible each day. You don't enjoy his presence when you face a big decision, not knowing what to do. You don't sing to him, testify of and to him. You don't learn about him. You don't have fellowship with other believers rejoicing in him together you don't see him as the end of all things the purpose of all things the joy of all things and the cause of all things he simply isn't a part of your life and you struggle to find any meaning in anything at all in this life if you're unhappy you've you don't have to be You don't have to remain that way. God didn't give you life to make you miserable. He gave you life to make you unspeakably happy. It's found in obeying God, focusing and fixing your eyes on his commandments for your life, in sincere praise to him and having him be a part of your life. Satan will not want you to hear this. He'll want you to trust that temporary thing that's bringing you temporary and partial happiness at best. Or maybe he'll convince you to to blame God for your unhappiness. Maybe you wonder why God would allow you to go through the troubles and the trials that you're going through. Maybe you wonder why God allowed a, a, a close loved one to die and pass away. Maybe you wonder why God has allowed an incredible financial strain to come upon you and your family. Maybe you're just wondering and you're questioning and you're hearing Satan whisper in your ear that it's God's fault and you then turn your finger and you blame him for your unhappiness when God is the one who is longing to bring you the greatest most unspeakable joy that you could ever ever experience and could never ever fully explain God knows where happiness is found maybe those terrible situations are occurring because he knows that he himself 
is the only thing that will bring you true and lasting happiness. And so when he sees us substituting other things for our happiness, it is his grace and mercy that takes them so that we then turn to him once again and find the joy that only he can bring. Don't substitute the things of this world for happiness in this life. Don't look to the things of this world to satisfy. Don't look to them to carry you through your darkest hours. God alone can do that. And the psalmist here reminds us once again of the path to happiness, the path to contentment, the path to joy. And when we see these things correctly, they are not merely a list of to-dos and do's and don'ts, but they are a way for us to express our love for God and the joy that is unspeakable and full of glory that's shed abroad in our hearts when the Spirit of God saves us and makes us His own. So maybe one of these four things, something for you to think about, a lack of obedience to God's precepts, lack of focus on his commands, a lack of sincere praise to God in your life, or a lack of God altogether. All four of these things will lead to a life of unhappiness. And I don't want that for you, and neither does God. And he has showed us and told us again and again in Scripture the truth of that. Let's have some.